welcome to season two of the Malasapina Theater Podcast, recorded in our beautiful Malasapina Theater lobby on Vancouver Island University's Nanaimo campus. Each episode will feature members of our theater community on a wide variety of topics that are important to young emerging artists. Our goal is to foster discussions important to our community and highlight our ever-emerging talent to discover how they see the world. We would like to acknowledge and thank the Snonemo, Kowatsin, Talaman, Snonoaz, and Qualicum First Nations on whose traditional lands we teach, learn, research, live, and share knowledge. Hi, my name is Leon Potter, and I'm here with a shining star of the Malaspina Theatre Department, a graduate from about 10 years ago, Jonathan Greenway. That's a pretty, pretty... Uh, well, well, now you got to live up to it. Yeah, I do. I do. That's true. That's true. Well, thank you for having me, and I'm excited. I'm yeah, excited no, no, this is great. So, Jonathan, for, for those of you listening, John was in the program about 10 years ago and was in a production that I directed of Romeo and Juliet, and when he moved and has recently moved back into town. So basically what I wanted to get uh, start out with is, can you tell me where did you go from here? Let's start with that. Yeah, it was, uh, I think I joined the program, uh, it was 2010, right out of high school. So uh, it was, I was 17 then, which was pretty wild. Crazy. Um, uh, yeah, so <laughs> I, was, I was just like a little babe. Uh, all these big uh, dreams and aspirations of being a big actor and all those things. And yet... It's quite the reality check here of learning, but then a bigger, much reality check after you leave, too. Uh, I went to Vancouver, um, pretty much right out of the gates from VIU. Cool. Um, auditioned for the acting program at UBC. Mm-hmm. Uh, didn't get in, but I did get into the design program because I ended up you know, starting out as an actor here, but then I fell in love with a lot of the design elements and being mm-hmm. head carpenter and uh, doing designs here for different shows and um, that kind of paved the way for me doing design at UBC, um, which was really cool. I got a lot of opportunities to work on different community projects there, um, designing shows for different youth group uh, theater companies and stuff. Um, and then uh, doing a year of that, I was kind of like, no, I don't want to do this anymore either. <laughs> uh, but I really fell in love at the same time with some electives I was taking in theater theory and theater history. Right. Uh, so I, I got into that and directing classes as well. And ended up uh, doing a theater honors degree at UBC, which was nice. focusing on um, cultural performances of local communities in British Columbia. And uh, of the honors class, I wrote a paper about um, performance history from time immemorial of like uh, indigenous communities and their indigenous performances, and then colonial and settlers coming here, and what that kind of theatrical interaction was, and how the you know tragedies and that took place from that. Um, so I was really into the academic side of, of things for, for quite a while. Um, it's, re- it's wonderfully topical right now, too. It's great. Yeah, yeah, no, and uh, it was something I've always been kind of passionate in is different cultural performances and stuff like that. Fantastic. Okay, cool. Yeah, so that was kind of my academics for a while. Uh, I worked in a bunch of different jobs, mm-hmm. uh, mostly in theater because I kind of made a vow that I didn't want to do anything other than theater. Um, that didn't always work out. You know, there was times when I'd be busking on the streets of Vancouver too, but that's still theater. I know that, I know that story well. I know that feeling very well. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, of course. Uh, so, but I did, I didn't end up getting, uh, great opportunities with Gateway Theater in Richmond, um, doing a couple of different things there, um, mostly front of house. And then I was a marketing manager, getting arts administration experience at the Arts Club Theater for a while. Cool. Um, yeah, but I, I essentially got, uh, you know, back into this academic headspace of thinking, well, I want to do something that's more than just entertainment of doing theater. I mean, I was still doing some acting here and there and still doing some directing and design here and there where I could. Um, but mostly my money was coming from like arts administration and selling tickets. Right. Um, 
So I really kind of decided that I would pursue something I've been interested in a long time, which was drama therapy. Um, okay, tell me more about that. So you got into drama <laughs> therapy. So where, for starters, where did you study that? Yeah, so I, well, I actually came back here for a short while to do a couple psychology classes mm -hmm. uh, at VIU after leaving Vancouver because I just wanted to see if I could do psychology. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Coming from, you know, like a pretty artistic background, jumping into stats and all that stuff. Doing real school would be a challenge. Yeah, yeah, like the, the smart, <laughs> the smart out. But um, uh, essentially, I, I, I ended up liking it. I ended up taking like the easy psychology classes to get there. Cool, um, right? yeah, yeah. Psych but, psychology for dummies. Yeah, exactly, Absolutely. like the artsy sides of it. So uh, I ended up just going uh, to Montreal. My partner and I, we... Uh, road trip across the country. Great. Landed in Montreal in Saskatoon. We were like, we should probably find a place to live and uh, jobs. So I emailed a couple of uh, places, and one of them was a new independent theater company there, uh, Snow Globe Theater, that I, I ended up running as the production manager with a great uh, friend uh, of mine there, uh, Peter right. Geyser. Uh, we put on like seven shows at the same time, but nice. that's a big segue from drama therapy. Um, that was what I was doing was, was Snow Globe Theater as my, you know, artistic practice. But I was going to school at Concordia. And they have one of the best uh, drama therapy programs, one of the only drama therapy programs in Canada. The other mm -hmm. one, there's another one in New York. Um, mm -hmm. It's quite popular. Um, yeah, and so I, I studied there and just graduated in uh, May. So Great. Yeah. So, okay. Excuse my ignorance on this one, but just mm. to make sure that everybody's clear, um, what... Describe to me exactly, in layman's terms, okay, what exactly is drama therapy? How does that 100%. Uh, yeah, so uh, there's drama, and then there's therapy. Oh, see, I there wish I go. could put those two together. There's your that layman's terms. so much easier. Uh, and you combine those two things together, and then you have a lot more fun. Awesome. Um, it's, a form <laughs> of, uh, it's a form of psychotherapy. So if people know Freud, yeah. um, kind of the father of psychotherapy in a lot of ways, um, Instead of all the sexual innuendos and cocaine that Freud had, uh, this you use, you know, plays and theater and drama games uh, to get to your clients instead of all the other weird Freudian stuff. <laughs> uh, no, but in, in reality, it's, it's, a, it's a great opportunity to learn um, uh, a lot of cool ways to employ the drama games that anybody would have been playing in high school um, or really anything. You know, there's, there's, you know, park bench or various improv games. Okay. Um, you know, just random scene work, uh, telling a story, a collective story in a group. Okay. Um, all of these different drama games um, can be facilitated in a group or with one-on-one -on -one with an individual. And the idea is that you're promoting a sense of healing, um, a sense of personal growth for an individual that's facing some kind of trauma or distress or uh, just wants to get more confidence. So it's so if I'm hearing you correctly, mm -hmm. you're using the the sort of techniques that we would use in an acting class mm -hmm. um, with the different games and such, but instead of working towards a performance, you're working towards just exploring, rather than developing a character, you're looking at exploring yourself. Totally, and that's sort of what's called uh, process-based drama therapy. And okay. that's just exploring yourself. It could be with a group of people. For example, I worked a lot with uh, people with developmental intellectual disabilities. Mm -hmm. That's where my practicum was. And that's, you know, developing through drama games. You know, you're obviously working on communication. You have to communicate social skills um, and a huge variety of other developmental opportunities for personal growth and personal development with those individuals. But it works with any population. Addicts. I had other people in my cohort when I was there uh, working with seniors, mm -hmm. children. Um, really, really cool benefits to do that. And it's a, a cohort of drama therapists there at that school. And then there's uh, art therapists also there. 
that you know utilize visual arts as a medium. Mm-hmm. And then dance movement therapists were starting as well. Mm-hmm. Same kind of thing, but using dance and movement to explore your body. And um, music therapists was another uh, facet at the school too. A lot of cool different stuff to, to explore with it. Um, the coolest things about drama therapy too is when I was saying process oriented, which is you know just playing drama games and stuff, mm-hmm. there is also performance oriented. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so you can work on something that is working towards an end, uh, an end goal performance. It could right. be based on the client's lives, perhaps writing about, um, I could give an example, perhaps it's um, uh, a women's group talking about spousal abuse. That could okay. be a very common example of you know, them coming together, creating the script together through improv or through writing it down in right. workshops, mm-hmm. and then utilizing that to find not only personal catharsis for them as a group or them as an individual, Right. It could be a one-person show. It could be a group show. Um, and then performing it and actually having audience witnessing it back and forth and seeing people see you. Okay, so there's a catharsis inside, of, or there's a... Um, so, sorry, inside of the performance, that's another part of or another phase of the development, which I suppose comes down to the sharing. Yeah, like absolutely. Sharing the story, right? So it's one thing telling the story and exploring the story on yourself... But then sharing the story would be a whole other level of. It's a whole other level of just uh, experience and engagement for people that are wanting to explore different sides of themselves. Uh, oh, okay. It can come through improv. Um, I ended up doing um, my research on why there wasn't more exploration of um, actually using physical scripts that we already know that are published. Okay. Um, there is a little bit of research, like people using Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, in King Lear, there's the scene with. Um, uh, Gloucester and his son. Yeah, and there's a large element of conversation going in that conver- in that conversation between father and son about uh, mental health. I mean, that's laid in throughout a lot of Shakespeare, right? Yeah, um, and exploring those uh, roles was part of what I talked about in my my thesis was using existing characters that we are accustomed to, like Hamlet. And his, yeah. you know, what if we give the play of Hamlet to uh, somebody who's grieving the death of his own father? Exactly. How does he work through yeah, that? Yeah, exactly. Right? And he uses the play to actually. Look through the avenging, etc., etc. Exactly. True, so I looked at uh, and and expression. Yeah, and through different expressions and different ways of relating to a character that has already existed that other people also relate to allows you to connect more with the world around you through right. your own grieving process. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, it, it's with a lot of fun. My end research goal was looking at Canadian plays mm-hmm. and the same kind of thing. I looked at three plays. One was about uh, uh, drag queens, drag queens on trial by Scal Gilbert. Mm-hmm. Um, the other one was uh, the ecstasy of Rita Joe. Um, which uh, looked at in missing, murdered Indigenous women, yep. um, primarily, and uh, the last one was uh, Judith Thompson, uh, "Lion in the Streets." Right. Um, all very Power- heavy themes. Yeah. Yeah. Pow- powerful plays. But I was looking at how did those actually relate if somebody put them on mm-hmm. and they've experienced something similar. Right. What kind of growth or healing might they experience, and what ways might trauma be brought back up, and all that stuff. So it's it's really combining that idea, like I said at the beginning, of Freud's psychotherapy. And the fun and beauty that drama can give and all the hardships and challenges that it can give and putting them together to use drama to help somebody out at the end of the day. Okay, so here's a question. Mm. Do you find <laughs> that the, the therapeutic work that you've been associating with drama has fed your actual theatrical practice as well? I think so. Uh, in a lot of ways, like experiencing it and learning it yeah you have to be completely ripped open and learn it yourself from the professors that have been doing it um these are doctorates from new york and from europe that are teaching at the school 
um, they, in the same sense of like going to an acting class or mm-hmm. working on a show, um, you know, you're, you're going to become vulnerable with the people around you and you're going to become opened up and um, ideally some more raw emotions come out in your performance, right? Right. Um, in this, you have that, but then you're also like talking about your own personal stuff and you get completely obliterated. Um, so then you can get some really raw, visceral emotions and actually come forward with something that is uh, of a performative quality. So from an acting point of view, yes. From a directing point of view, hugely so, because you know how to break other people's minds at this point. Um, right. Which is a kind of terrible As long thing as you to know say. how to put them back together. Again. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> right? Especially if you're doing that from a therapy point of view, right? Absolutely. Well, from of course, yeah. A director's point of view, I mean, you ideally want to, but I mean, if they, they are completely insane at the end of the production, I mean... no but uh, you definitely want to take care of people for sure but it is it does give you the opportunity to you know really find the key way to break into somebody's mind right and to be able to ideally use that for good right um and find ways that you can expand what they're able to tap into that's interesting actually it's really interesting especially when you're talking about the whole concept of catharsis i've been um I don't know if you were playing with this very much. My wife just finished doing her master's in uh, psychology. That's right, yeah. And it was fascinating to me. And some of the stuff that she had been learning, um, I got to reading on, and it became fascinated with specifically this idea of mirror neurons. Mm-hmm. So, so you're familiar with the concept of mirror neurons, yep. right? So monkey drops a pen, and the same neurons fire off in my head. When, you know, I, I drop a pen and the monkey sees it, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. So there's those kinds of experiments, right? Yeah. Um, and I was always kind of curious because I've always thought, well, if that's the case, then maybe that's where catharsis comes from. It's the idea that we're watching somebody because it doesn't work. Catharsis doesn't work if what you're doing on stage doesn't tell the truth. True. Right? That's, that, that's that whole adage of what an actor does is find the truth inside of an imaginary circumstance. So if you're finding the truth inside of an imaginary circumstance and you're playing that truth and you're making, and you're living that moment as truthfully and honestly as, as humanly possible, then when the audience is looking at it, what they're seeing is something that is truthful and honest, which can often lead to some kind of visceral reaction from the audience as well. A catharsis, an applause, a tear, a laugh, anything along those lines, any kind of any kind of purging, any kind of outpouring. But I've often wondered, and tell me what you think about this, because I could be completely off kilter. But do you think that the concept of mirror neurons or the idea that, you know, it's triggering off something that we have experienced in our own lives or some kind of truth is relating to something that we understand? That is what is creating that cathartic reaction. That's really interesting. I think there's probably a whole deal of research that can be looked into on that. Um, and, the, and the cool thing is there is a ton of research on all areas of like drama therapy and psychology relating to mirror neurons as well as just neuro, neuropsychology in general. Absolutely. Um, and then it branches off into you know, the, the actual humanistic side of it, which is what mm-hmm. I was always interested in. And I think, <coughs> to get to your question of like, do you think the mirror neurons... I don't know, man. I mean, uh, there's a lot. I think there's a lot more. There's a lot more. No, that's great. I love this kind of stuff. There's a lot more that can probably be activated as well, mirror neurons, in the sense of, like, if you're copying something that you see. Right. 
um, or you're witnessing something that you're seeing. I mean, in a, in a relationship on stage, when you're acting with somebody and somebody is being coming truly vulnerable and opening up and breaking down in their character and you feel, really believe that, mm-hmm. then you're going to react in that way, right? Right. That's the whole thing of, like, if an actor gives you nothing and you're supposed to, you know, your next line is, like, I hate you, I'm leaving this place, I'm supposed to be really angry. Well, if they're not giving you a reason to do that, you're right. like, well, why, would you, why would you say that line? Exactly. Right? And so I think that, when it becomes truthful, and that's what we're talking about here, is like that truthful honesty of being open and vulnerable and really portraying something that moves audiences. Right. Um, you not only have to feel it, but the, the I guess the neurons actually have to activate. Right. You actually have to be able to fully engage in that element of feeling it, too. So I, I'm, I'm curious. I'm, I mean, I didn't come from necessarily the, the neuropsychology side of it. Okay. Um, I was more focused on the humanistic areas of, like, what can possibly happen and mm-hmm. more... Um, theoretical sense, mm-hmm. um, but I, I I don't know enough about the neuro neuropsych side of it. But I think that a lot of stuff that theater can do involves replaying human emotion. I mean, that's what Stanislavski talks about in Emotional Recall, right? Yes. Yeah. Can we get into that in a sec? <laughs> get into that in a sec. <laughs> oh, I'm just trying to tie it with it with mirror neurons and like emotional recall is like maybe you're trying to activate mirror neurons from an emotion that you've processed in the past. Yeah, exactly, which is right. the whole concept of understanding what something feels like and recreating that recreating that exactly or as or as closely as possible. So those mirror neurons are firing when you're actually really reliving something that actually allows you to push through that scene. Absolutely. The interesting there's an interesting bringing up Stanislavski um, and this is leads to another question that I'd love to ask you is Okay, so Stanislavski, later on in his life, he started moving towards a style of work called uh, Method of Physical Action, Mm -hmm. right? So, in long story short, basically, he started out when he began creating a method of teaching theater. You began with emotion, you start with an emotion, aim for an emotion, and that leads to a physical action. And as he developed his thought process and and learned more he discovered or he felt that it was the opposite way around you perform an action and it is in the performing of that action that a that an emotion will follow through right Mm. um in his eyes that also became more of a reliable state right you walk in and you do something you perform this action and then in performing of that action if you're doing it honestly and you're doing it truthfully the emotion will follow. The emotion will follow through. How much of do you find that the physicality of because you were talking about using older scripts, yeah, like more established scripts? Um, do you find that people would get too wrapped up in the language of a script rather than actually getting up and performing and doing something? How much? How much do you lean on the physical aspect of? With therapy, that depends on the population you're working with, right, too. Okay. I'll just tackle that quickly. So, for example, if I'm working with some of the population I've worked with that have um, diverse abilities. Yes, of uh, course, yeah. You're going to have to adapt those, those scripts and not lean heavily on the, the text right. at all, right? But say, okay, well, this is what's going read. You know, we might be reading it to them, for example, and then seeing what do they have with the actions that come from that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that... Stanislavski's, you know, switching, and I mean, he switched a lot of what he said in his early career versus what he said in his later career. That's true. But um, I think that it's not so linear. I think it's much more uh, circular. 
in the sense that I think that both the emotions and words can lead to, like, like can be vice versa, right? Actions can lead to words and words can lead to actions. Exactly. Um, but I, I think that in any sense, and this is also coming from an artistic sense of when I'm a director, mm-hmm. is I, I don't like to necessarily like get into the script wholeheartedly. I like to use, utilize games and utilize um, performative uh, exercises, or as they call it in psychology, interventions and in drama therapy. They're actually just interventions to activate somebody. Okay. This could be, you know, connecting games like mirror, like actual mirroring, you know, mm-hmm. like hands and everything, um, or uh, any kind of, you know, group cohesion games, right. um, games that build on emotion, but then also games that build on just getting into embodiment, and that's a big part of um, theater, obviously, but also of psychology is knowing where are you situated in your body and how do you feel in your body. Cool. Um, and I think that's something that comes from a directing standpoint for me is that I, I really like to rely on like, well, how, how does your character move? Um, how does your character feel in the sense? I love uh, when I was directing No Exit uh, in uh, Montreal, mm-hmm. um, I would have an, an, the character playing Inez. She's a brilliant, brilliant actress, but she couldn't get to this point of being a, like a real visceral, um, I don't know, I'm supposed to swear on this podcast, but it was, she was, she was, she was a visceral bitch. Uh, <laughs> Uh, right, if you know we the to, character at all, we have to look over to the producer at this point and she's got she gave me a thumbs up. <laughs> so I'm like, all right, cool, it's all good. But like, like she she had trouble getting to that point of just being this awful character that Inez in the story is, and so I just had her just like um, every night in dress rehearsals and before each show, I just had her like punch my hands like crazy while she said her monologues and just literally beat the shit out of my hands. Exactly. Um, and I would, and then when she wasn't doing it um, in scenes, I would just flick. Uh, um, rubber bands at her or throw paper balls. And you taught me that in first acting classes. Yeah, yeah. You would just whip balls at me. I remember doing Hamlet, one of the big things, is like uh, was we were doing a scene with Hamlet and uh, it was a scene with uh, Polonius, the fishmonger, and right. you came up to me like, John, you're not getting there. And you just, I think, just grabbed my face. You're like, you gotta get crazy. And I was <laughs> like, okay. And so that physicality really activates uh, activates the words in the scene and then you can actually find that truth that you're talking about. Yeah, right? exactly. And that's the biggest point in storytelling, I think, is finding the truth in the character, whether it's... Finding those truths yeah, in, exactly. in those moments that you can be... That can be mm-hmm. So tell me what's next. Where are you... Like, So you're back on the island. I am. I'm and back on the island. Uh, I have just got my accreditation going for being a registered clinical counselor in psychotherapy. So Fantastic. I'm hoping to build like a private practice and... Great. Contract out to work with different people. Um, that's a big thing that I'm personally excited for. I got married in the summer, which was very... Thank you. Yeah, I was very happy with that. I got to do that in my parents' backyard with my lovely wife. And I was say, you're a little stuck for honeymoons right now, but... Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we're, we're hoping to plan that. We're just not worried about it. We're, we got our own little place, and that's our little honeymoon for right now. But um, So that's, that's my little personal bit of fun. Um, just hanging out with friends I haven't seen, all the old friends from VIU that I'm still pretty close with. Great. Uh, most of them anyway. And, uh, yeah, no, what I'm doing now is I'm also uh, just got the great opportunity to be the general manager for Theater One. Fantastic. Um, it's my second day uh, as of today, uh, which is v- it's very exciting. There's a lot of cool stuff coming down the pipeline for Theater One, I think, too. That's they great. Uh, They're fringe flicks, which start, I think, on Sunday mm-hmm. at the Avalon Theater. A lot of uh, avant-garde uh, film, which is great. And then they have their first main stage show of the fall, uh, which is called One Hour Photo. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's by an Asian theater company uh, with um, Tetsuro Shigematsu. Uh, he's doing a one-man show online, streaming it. It's about the story of a Japanese-Canadian um, through the ages. Um, and it's a stream show online, so that's pretty cool. And there's some great stuff coming down the pipeline uh, for next season, too. 
just uh, still trying to figure out the COVID world with theater, I think, is, is yeah, a big that's thing. Yeah, that's, that's a fascinating element, too, because it really does... We've been talking a lot about where the world of theater is going, but I think that's probably going to be for another podcast, as I'm looking at the time. For um, sure, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we covered, that would be a fantastic... Also, I think it would be a great topic to talk about. I mean, just from Where's my experience, leaving Montreal, like a large large reason of like a deciding factor we were like oh we want to go home obviously for a bit but like yeah. to not go back there's no point in being in one of the biggest cultural cities in Canada amazing theater and, and arts and shows and music everything just shut down and it was a completely different city and it was yeah. so weird yeah I know I've got a lot of friends who were working in London and they were it was crazy yeah you know, some 500 and some odd days shut yeah and uh you see so many people, I mean, my heart went out a lot too, especially the people that I went to school here. There's such a, a huge tech school here and a lot of the, the technicians that relied heavily on their work yeah. uh, being in, in tech is just there, there, was, there was nothing. Yeah. And uh, it's scary for a long time. And, and, and you know, theater already does struggle a lot. But I think, I think one of the first things you asked on our, my first day 11 years ago uh, was what is the next step for theater? And you mm -hmm. asked that 11 years ago, like what is going to happen? And I think people have been asking that for for a while. For a while. Well, probably Absolutely. since the dawn of theater, too. Yeah. Uh, but, like, uh, what's next? <laughs> what Obviously. You know? But uh, <laughs> it is, it is, I think, something interesting to come out of this pandemic and see what opportunities there are to have. I was doing shows that were on uh, Zoom. Um, How did you find that? It was like film and theater had a weird baby. <laughs> uh, it was like you're directing yourself and holding a camera, but then you're also, like live at the same time we did some cool stuff yep. we were testing it but it was like really felt like pioneers in a way yeah to have trying that stuff out we got some good reviews and comments but i think there's a lot of opportunity for that multimedia we were talking a little bit about that and maybe yeah, that's another were. another entire uh thing about this covid what's next um in, and i think thing. that's going to be a fascinating topic to get into next time which will yeah be sort of the merging of different medias there's there's so much stuff that i think is especially with like you were talking i think when we had mentioned a while ago about tiktok Right and and opportunity of using that element of liveness or Twitter, social media, all these things that can be incorporated into theater and make some new uh, great plays and art and yeah, reinvent plays, art, ideas, reinvent the old stuff too and revitalize it. Right, Brecht always says to keep things fresh and yeah. There's always a fascinating thing when you're in training in the training element of it is looking at all the new opportunities, new ideas, and how they actually merge with some of the old ones. Sort of which of the old ideas fall by the wayside. And at the same time, which of the old ideas are still relevant and still true. doing it, which true, is true. fantastic. In the meantime, I just want to say thanks very much for joining us. Hey, thank you. And that was great. Um, yeah, I look forward to seeing. So once again, I'm Leon Potter, This, and I've been joined here by Jonathan Greenway, who is a graduate of the program and has gone on to do great things. So oh, thank you. Yeah. I look forward to talking to you again, mate. Yeah, cheers. Thanks that was fun. Here.